of it being cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, all, like I've been watching a lot of uh, a lot of cool people, and they're saying, oh, "I'm not going." First time in six years, I'm not going. Yeah, I remember when the Sundance Film Festival hit that point. You stopped going, and you lived there. <laughs> no, I actually, well, I don't know. Sundance has been what it is now for quite some time, and it's still, you know, still has a lot of value. But um, it definitely turned a corner into huge just publicity vehicle, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I just noticed that uh, Jay-Z is performing at South by Southwest. I and thought, then it's over. It's over. You know, <laughs> I I would love to see Jay-Z, and I think he really is a great artist, but... um that doesn't make sense to me, you know? Yeah. 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 So, uh, what do you, what do you have on your list today? You got um, the, do you, what are you thinking? What do you, what's on your, what's on your mind? How do you hate marketing today? Oh, I know. I love that. That's, I forgot that that's our new theme. <laughs> Marketers who hate marketing. Oh, that is awesome. I love that you forgot about it and still think it's funny. <laughs> I know. It's kind of like when a dog vomits and then eats its own vomit. Say, like, hey, dinner. What? Where'd that come from? <laughs> Somebody just gave me a meal. That was awesome. horrible. <laughs> What you just said was horrible. It's a horrible thing. <laughs> oh, look, somebody just gave me a meal. Uh, well, yes, I am hungry. I'll eat that. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so wait a minute. I got to Anyway, what, so what yeah, so it was a funny in? new joke to me. And, and you know what? I got to. I. Honestly, I need to take that theme into my research for the show because it's funny. It's just it's this funny little thread I've been been in denial of until you said it last week. And I'm like, huh, that's true. It is really funny to make fun of marketing. Yeah, I, mean, it, I, I love watching Wyden and Kennedy score big hits and, you know, do great things. But I also love to watch uh and I never get the name right. The company that moved from Miami to Boulder, that did Burger King. What, what are they? What's that ad, ad, ad agency? I don't know. I, um, I was too busy writing down uh, the title our, of the show. Uh, uh, what are you uh, talking about? The ad agency that's in Boulder now. It used to be in Miami. Uh, whatever. Their big name did Volkswagen and Burger King and um, God. What was their first big hit? I don't know. They did the the uh, stop smoking ads, I think, put them on the map. CP and B. But Budusky, is that right? But there's yeah, a Budusky. Porter, Porter Bugusky. Anyway, that's that's now taken a long time to, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> to no. make a point. But anyway, I love reading about their failures as much as I love reading. Chris, you know, yeah, I got it. I got it. Crispin, Por Crispin Porter Crispin, Bugusky. I know. I always CPB. think of Crispin Glover and the... Crispin Glover. <laughs> Crispin Glover vomits. Although... How great would Crispin Glover be to have on your creative team? Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, in any good ad agency, you know, there's there's a failed uh, film student, you know. Um, you're you calling I mean? Crispin Glover a failed film student. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm uh, Crispin Glover. Um, I'm saying that he's he, I'm saying that he um, he lives in a very interesting creative world. I'm actually friends with him on Facebook for fun. You can do that too, I'm sure. I so you're not, this isn't name dropping. He's just, he no, just friends anybody. It's no, no name dropping. Yeah, no. Uh, Crispin <laughs> Hellion Glover. He, but he, uh, he did uh, the thing with the, was it the rat Willard? Yeah, no, that, and see, that was more 
you know, straightforward fare for him. He he, yeah. he did a crazy one about a, a Down syndrome kid that went to Sundance. It was part of their Midnight series a couple of years back. I've never seen it, but it supposedly was just way off the charts. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know yeah, who I get well, him why not throw with? him into advertising? I, I get him confused with, uh, with the uh, Matthew Modine. I do too, actually. I used to always get them confused. Yeah. And, and interestingly, like, they both have Salt Lake connections. Well, that, that brings it all together for me. <laughs> so that's full circle. Yeah. And actually, I bring that up because um, have you ever seen the, uh, the Old Spice ads that Tim and Eric did? No. <laughs> oh, man. you got to look those up. Okay. Woo, baby. Uh, do you, are you a fan of Tim and Eric's at all? Oh, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh I, you know, uh, this is, um, too powerful to stay in its, uh, in its own commercial. Oh, oh, Tim and Eric showing up with Terry Crews. Which wasn't he the, uh. All right. So talk about, I, I'm he sorry. Was the I, office linebacker or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the, you know, I don't know. I just I was reading a Tim and Eric interview, I think, on Slate um, about a week ago. I didn't know that they had done Old Spice commercials, and I'm not sure when they did them, um, if they were before or after the, uh, you know, the the big uh, Wyden and Kennedy spots with what what's his name, because <laughs> they have they have a familiarity to that. There's with, it's sort of the Isaiah same Mustafa, deal. The, the Isaiah yeah, Mustafa, that play. guy. See another name. I I don't, you know my brain's kind of. Uh, What's that word? <laughs> so, anyway, I'm not trying to be ironic with that statement. Tim, so um, okay, so Tim and Eric, you got to talk about Tim and Eric. So they do they do the awesome show. Uh, yeah, do the awesome show and a new movie coming out, the billion dollar movie. Looks like it's pretty hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah. But you looks like it very much. You have to be a Tim and Eric fan to even want to go see it. Yeah. Uh, and it may not be a movie to eat popcorn for, with for, yeah, or anything. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't eat but, at uh, this movie. Those are some creative, some creative men, I think. Um, and, and anyway, so yeah, they did. I don't know. I'm guessing Wyden and Kennedy hired him. I don't know who hired him, but they did some Old Spice stuff, and it's pretty hilarious. Fairly short. I mean, yeah. I, they're they're really short clips, but they're they're very nonsensical Tim and Eric craziness. So um, yeah, I think that's you know, I mean, advertising <laughs> is uh, it, it, it's. I, I don't know what it takes for a company to take that kind of a risk. You know, like who needs to be in charge? Who needs to be calling the shots? Who, you know, what sort of like cost benefit analysis goes into it? I, yeah. I've never been privileged enough really to work for a company who, um, who was willing to really just do something crazy. Um, but anyway, and, and who knows, and who knows the reasons why, right? Like advertising is just so interesting in that, uh, you know, like a, a 10 second spot of the, uh, the lip balm, you know, the, yeah. or no, it wasn't lip balm. It was the headache cure thing. I think those were like 10 second spots, but you remember that? Like the, it was like a headache bomb of some kind. And, and the commercials gave you a headache. This was about probably oh, four years ago, three years ago. Um, do you know the one I'm talking about? It was like a stick. You kind of rub it on. I think I never used it, so I can't remember for sure, but it was, it was this commercial that just repeated the name of the company like a thousand times and, and flashed it in your face. It was just the weirdest, worst kind of spot, but it, and they were just a, you know, they had no real budget at all. And, uh, I just like one product kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really did phenomenally well. 
So well, uh, have you seen the? I'm uh, just rambling. No, no, no. I, have you seen all. the new? There's the uh, the Dollar Shave Club uh, spot. No, that's going around on YouTube. The Dollar Shave Club. The dollar, dollar, just go to dollarshaveclub.com, and uh, why I will. For a dollar a month, they send high quality razors right to your door. <laughs> that's the whole. That's the whole point. And and uh, I love uh, it. He uh, says, you know, are the are the blades any good? No, our blades are effing great. And awesome. he goes on and and <laughs> it, I, it is a really funny viral. This one is a hat tip to Amy Lambert uh, on Facebook who shared that with us. Uh, uh, it's a great spot, and it's this. It's I I don't know. Um, you know I. I I don't know if this appeals to, uh, you know, to mass market. I don't even know if it appeals to most shavers, but it appeals to me in a way that most mass market advertising does not. Are you watching? Well, are you watching this, the spot right now? Well, I don't want. I I uh, I'll get way too distracted if I actually watch it. Yeah, it's kind of it, long. It's I like a minute, it. minute and a half of silence. I'm we're... reading through the site though. I'm trying to figure this company out. I love out. the it... enlightened customer number one sixty seven. I save a hundred dollars a year on shaving now. Basically, I'm a genius, Jeff. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Where are these guys located? You can't even find that out. I don't care because it's by mail. But see, I, they, but they just curious. this is why I don't hate uh, this particular. They may be a terrible company. It may be a terrible company. They may be run by the mafia, uh, by you know some weird kind of offshoot of the uh, Grand Theft Auto Ukrainian style mafia. But I don't care because they made a good relationship with me with that video. It makes me laugh. It makes I like that guy. I want to imagine that that guy is actually the one sending me razors. <laughs> Uh, he might be like he just needs to be he's added to the list of my best friends who don't know me yet well and this is what's great about um i, I don't know like the the media options i mean uh you know there are big companies who test uh very sort of niche specific ads on uh, youtube or online um companies i think that create niche brands even uh, to be online only so that they can go after a very, very particular market uh, and and companies that I think couldn't exist without having this kind of an avenue, uh, especially I think, let's say you have a national audience, um, you, you know, you may live in, say, Boise, Idaho and have five people in the whole city that are a match for your product. But, you know, multiply that across the whole country. And if you can figure out how to find those people, you know, I think this is the, this is a great development that that we have, uh, you know, like people don't basically have to have the full budget to be on TV, even though I think it's, you know, I, I hope we never lose the sort of local late night TV ads. No, that's your bread and butter right there. Love it. Yeah. But, you know, this is a whole new sort of version of that. And of course, you know, we're, we're ramping up towards uh, election season. And I hope there's going to be a lot more local politicians getting on YouTube with the, you know, when their nephew produces their TV spot yeah. or, or their YouTube spot. It, it doesn't get any better than that. It does and, not and, get any better. And speaking that. of which, um, we were going to talk a little bit about uh, how these super PACs are benefiting not only media outlets and, you know, TV stations and whatever with their big media buys, but uh, ad agencies and marketing folks. Massive we, amounts we of money. This was your, this was your, uh, this was your big brainchild there last time. Well, right? just, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what intelligent thing to say about it, but uh, it, it, it's, it's been very interesting to watch the, 
you know, the Supreme Court makes this decision and, and uh, you know, corporations are all of a sudden people with First Amendment rights and, and how could we, you know, restrict campaign finance? That would be bad. So the floodgates are open and you have uh, a Republican primary with a couple of guys who without, you know, some billion dollar donors, um, a man in Wyoming in Santorum's case and uh, a man in Nevada in Newt Gingrich's case, you know, be pretty much a locked up uh, nomination by now, in my opinion. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it seems to be that, uh, you know, there can be corporations or people dumping, you know, 10 million bucks here and there uh, to keep somebody alive. And and at the end of the day, one of the things you're reading about, in fact, when I was in, uh, I think it was in the LA Times did an article a couple weeks ago about the pay of the folks managing the ad spends on the campaign. Um, a, a couple of these uh, presidential candidates have, you know, they're, they're uh, whatever they're called, whatever they, you, you, <laughs> I don't know what they're called, but the, the, the person who's sort of, you know, sort of managing the campaign details and, and uh, the ad spends, they bring in the money and, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to, you know, spend a, this money? It wouldn't be a campaign manager, would it? Something like that, yeah. you know, We're campaign. Just start making up words. Something. Okay. <laughs> and uh, they're basically getting paid like uh, a media, like an initiative media would get paid. They're getting a percentage of the ad spend. So let's say well, and uh, let's look at let's look at some of those numbers. I find this really interesting. So what gets reported um, in in s some of the uh, news or by some of the news organizations is that you know Super Tuesday um, that uh, Mitt Romney spent uh, just uh, just under a million dollars on uh, television ads alone on Super Tuesday, right? Just under a million dollars. That's a lot of money for a single day, but what doesn't get reported often side by side is that his super PAC uh, went on and spent uh, over six million more on that day. Right. So seven That's a million lot of money dollars, out there, nearly seven million dollars on television ads in a single day across you know whatever it was ten states. Uh, uh, that this is according to you know that leftist rag uh, NPR. Um, so that's it, compared to 220,000 spent on ads uh, last week by the super PAC supporting former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum. And if the campaign manager is getting 5% of that, of a $7 million Mitt Romney one day ad spend, yeah. that campaign manager made $350,000 on that day. And those are literally the kinds of numbers that these people are making now. But let's, you know, let's spread it around. And one of the things that I read, and this is what I thought was really interesting from a marketing perspective is, you know, someone was being interviewed about the spend and, and, and there were, whatever publication it was, they were saying, hey, so there's all these great new ways of targeting people and, and really getting in and building an online uh, audience and, and, you know, all these new smart methods and techniques and, you know, how is this changing the landscape and who's really doing best at this? And the guy's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's you know, <laughs> that's great stuff. Problem is, we get 10 million bucks in the month of January with a candidate who may be out of the race in in a month and basically, we have to spend ten million bucks. So, uh, what's the most expensive way to do that? That's high profile and proves to the person that gave us ten million bucks that we did indeed spend it in a high profile way. Well, that's TV. So, whether yeah. or not TV makes any sense, or whether it does at that scale, um, 
you know, with big million dollar spends, is it really the best thing to do? The answer is it doesn't matter if it's the best thing to do or not, or the most effective thing to do. Because it ends up being the best thing to do for the engine. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and you've been in this position before, Pete, where you're working for a company and sometimes you do ads that aren't necessarily meant to be Seen. truly effective. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let's say in the case of a billboard, sometimes you do a billboard buy for your client because it makes the companies who work for that client happy that they can see that there's advertising out there. I know yeah. I've been in that position yeah. before. And that it's sort of that same thing where, again, somebody gives a million, you know, big, big money to a campaign and says, I want to make, I want to know that you're spending it. I want to see that you're spending it right now. Well, well and that's something that's TV. so interesting. You know, I uh, like we, go, we used to go back and forth about like um, uh, about transportation advertising, right? Buses and mm-hmm. such, right? Right. You right. know, when you when you look at all the various ad channels and you see there are leads coming in from you know buses, but they don't really feel very good to the client, so they stop doing buses and do billboards where we have zero verifiable leads coming in from billboards. So you know, there there is this sort of emotional response that comes into um, into you know where you're. Putting Putting your channel marketing dollars, and in this case, the engine supports big spends on television. I wonder what the uh, like. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hear a lot of these sort of uh, cord cutting hypotheses right now. Um, that that there are so many people who are who are cutting the cord that you know they're not they're just seeing far less in in terms of advertising because they're watching so much less broadcast television. You know, they're they're paying so much more for shows. You know. Um, as they, you know, as they want to watch them uh, a la carte rather than just turning yes. on the television and watching it. And, right. and I have to imagine that has some impact. And I wonder as the, uh, you know, as the campaign campaign wears on, there's a lot of money, but but we're having less of a of, of a concrete ability to say, you know, I know that Mitt Romney closed the gap in, uh, you know, Ohio uh, because he outspent, you know, Santorum. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, I can't say that. I, I know that he outspent Santorum. And I know that one hypothesis is uh, that, you know, this massive television buy, uh, you know, did the job. But I can't say that for sure. You can't say it for sure. But if you've got the money to spend, you think, well, better safe than sorry. Keep spending that amount of money yeah, in that exactly. same way because exactly. we won. So, right. Right. You know, we don't have hard evidence. Uh, but we used, speaking, and that's that I think is the change. We used to be able to say that. We used to be able to say that because we knew where the captive eyeball eyeballs really were. Well, and it well true, yeah, and and it breaks down in in um, or sort of falls apart in in political spending because I think with a company, it part of what makes it work I think is that you have. We're comparing this year to last year. We're comparing the month, you know, say January of 2012 to January of 2011. We know some things about the the, the customers and and the seasonality and and what seemed to work and what had an impact. Because at, at the end of the day, you have to have a marketing mix. And uh, you know, if you if you're putting all your money into paid search advertising and nothing into anything else, all of a sudden, let's say you do a TV buy and your paid search advertising doubles in effectiveness. Um, you have to be able to put two and two together. And it kind of takes a while to do that. But when you're just running fast and hard with huge dollars, um, and, and by the way, speaking of measuring eyeballs and that kind of thing, I don't know if you saw this one but um, or have seen anything like this, but 
with all this Rush Limbaugh controversy and the dropped advertisers. Um, nice, right? Somebody, yeah, it's kind of fun to watch. But somebody had done a breakdown of this number that gets floated out there, the, the size of his audience number. And somebody had really done some research to say, wait a minute, where'd that number come from? Who uses that number? There seem to be two numbers used. I think one is 20 million listeners and the other is 15, I think, something like that. So this guy tried to track down the origin of those numbers and how verifiable they are. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's very difficult. It's always been very difficult. It's difficult for any radio station or radio personality to really know the size of their audience. How do they really know? Yeah. Um, and the whole system for tracking that is uh, is pretty funky. Well, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think it's. It's tough. It's it's almost it's the same as as tracking you know podcasts. Like you know there are a lot oh, no, of factors that that play into. Yeah, um, but you know who at least downloaded your program. You really don't know who spent five minutes on your radio station driving to work in the morning. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I don't, I, I don't know who listens. I know who <laughs> I, I know who clicked on it. It's like the same thing with the, with any of these hits. I know, you know, casual clicking is is about the same as casual radio listening in my view. I, I the the data ends up meaning nothing. You end up having to have a massive scale in order to assume you know twenty percent. Uh, and other uh, folks that are listening to your show or are actually listening to your show. What we do know for Rush Limbaugh, and I think that's the counter argument, is that the, his audience is is um, you know the the audience that is verifiable, uh, you know, is is made up of the forty five advertisers that have said you know I'm out. Exactly, and, and, and that's true. That's uh, I think his comment yesterday or the day before was. Um, to attack the advertisers yeah. and, and to tell his audience they don't want you to buy their product anymore. And so, you know, shame on them. Um, that's a, you know, I mean, that <laughs> that's not the way that most people treat their advertisers because you're right. That really is, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they probably came to your show because you said we have this huge audience and you may or may not have an audience that's the size of what you're claiming it to be. But when they pay you money to advertise, they do become the best, I, I think, or at least the most important measure of your success. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Know, I, I think that's the that ends up for a guy like Rush Limbaugh being the, the core metric for success. Like that, you know, he has a lot of, of listeners, supposedly, that, you know, I mean, I know he has a, a large audience. We don't know how much it is, but we do know how much they're worth. Which, when you describe it that way, doesn't it seem a little like prostitution? Well, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> isn't, that why we, isn't that why we sort of um, have this latent uh, disdain for the world of marketing? Is, is, is that at the end of the day, you know, there may be great artistic or... or you know, intellectual merit to what somebody does, but it's only really as relevant as the people who pay them money, whether it's whatever, whether it's listener donations or advertisers, that's okay. kind of where the buck stops. Okay. Well, this is the same. I th I'm, I, if we haven't talked about this before on the show, I'm really surprised, but this, uh, I think bringing it up in the context of Rush Limbaugh is really, uh, is really pertinent. Um, we talk about Google 
and all of these wonderful free services that Google offers, like Gmail and Google Calendar and Google Reader and Google Voice, and all these things are free, and they, they really are very powerful applications. And for, for those who have invested a large, you know, a, a bit of their uh, time and effort, you know, using these tools and configuring these tools, they've also invested a lot of personal information in these tools, and and um, and they're all free. And people say, "Well, Google is great. They're they're so wonderful because they're giving away these services for free." On the you know, and, and we know that advertisers pay, you know, for the search stuff. But but clearly that these you know, Google Gmail is not is is immune to that. Well, what's coming out now is that is is this whole idea that you know, if, if you are not paying for a product, somebody is. And and uh, and in this case, uh, for for Google and I think for Rush Limbaugh, you're not paying for that signal that you enjoy so much or that application you enjoy so much because because you are the product, you are the product, right? You are the currency that is exchanged uh, for real money with those advertisers. The reason Rush Limbaugh is is you know has I think a right to be concerned is right to be concerned is because he is losing you know uh, the currency uh through backlash and the same thing it could happen to google could happen to you know um anyone who offers a free service but uh, and, and what a stark example don imus was i mean when you say a lot of thing yeah a lot of people would say well how could it really happen overnight like that? And how, how could someone who's been an institution for decades, you know, really just make one inane comment that uh, is not unlike something, I mean, that it's basically not out of character and may have been said before, um, probably a hundred times, you know, but now all of a sudden, but you think, but he's an institution. How could it happen? And yeah, Don Imus, that was really overnight and it was absolutely fueled by the advertisers polling. Right. Right. Uh, you know, MSNBC could have said, you know, one month hiatus, a one week hiatus, which they did. But when you come back, uh, it doesn't the, the people you need to forgive you are the advertisers. And if they don't. Y yeah. I mean, he, that that was the end of his career, pretty much. I know he's done a few things since. But um, and well, by and the what's way, up with Glenn Beck, I mean, he was uh, ousted and found founded some university somewhere didn't he, Isn't he <laughs> i don't know some media uh, back channel media he's university? doing some things but yeah it's but he he's nowhere near the the social new. collateral the social cachet that he had you know when he was on that, that, uh, that guy uh single-handedly raised the price of gold in america didn't he or in the world i guess um <laughs> but see yeah. that's the that's gold the, were that's his the and that was a funny thing like right at, at even the height of his popularity with his show uh and I, you know, was never watching it, but you'd see little clips here and there, and he just seemed nutty. Uh, and you would think, wow, this guy, he's pulling in huge dollars, and he seems to be so influential uh, for, you know, his audience or whatever. And then someone started doing, like, a breakdown of the advertisers on his show, and you just think, wait a minute. Well, like, there's, there's, there are not a lot of big names there. Like, it seemed... Yeah. When I saw who was advertising, again, even at the peak of his popularity before his demise, um, I just couldn't quite figure out the sort of hearing aid, you know, gold commercial kind of 
uh, spots that seemed to be paying the bills exactly. for that show. It really was kind of odd. I, you know, it's the same thing actually with um, uh, with Rush uh, Limbaugh's show. And you're looking at effective the sixth so last week, uh, the list of companies that it officially announced is up to forty five. Uh, and they're all, you know, some of them are big, big names. AccuQuote, Life Insurance, Allstate, American Heart yeah. Association, AOL. Um, yeah, some some of them are quite big. Some of them are quite big. Some of them are uh, super obscure, really obscure. Uh, and and so, um, but an important point to make here, Pete, it really, and 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 I was sort of bringing, well, you were bringing sort of, it back, and I I did something to no 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 I I well I, I was sort of touching on it, but. Um, in, in terms of why did this particular comment, why has it risen to this level? And again, he may, well, not again, I haven't said this yet, but he may survive this. He, he, he may. It's possible. Right, yeah, uh, probably. Yeah, I mean, on, on some level, sure. Um, but social media has been critical to how this gained so much traction. I mean, we like, you know, we tend to think, well, it's got so much traction because... Uh, you know, networks have picked it up, or I'm seeing it on the news, or it's being reported about, or certainly it, it picked up a whole bunch of steam when advertisers started to drop. I mean, it's not big news to hear Rush Limbaugh said something crazy. That's really not big news. Um, and so you sort of think, well, that really sucks, but, you know, his his audience doesn't really mind if he says something like that. And then the advertisers start to drop. And why did they drop? It, 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 it in very many cases, was... Uh, social media, particularly Twitter, um, going to the company through that that method. So the companies now have a way to listen to their customers. So back to, you know, how do we spend money or why do companies spend money certain places? Well, a lot of those 45 companies are looking at Rush Limbaugh and thinking, well, he's got millions of people. And sure, you know, I don't love everything he says, but whatever we're you know we're reaching a big audience and and we like uh the the cost of the spend for the reach or whatever but then when you have this groundswell coming at you directly saying uh i'm not going to use your product if uh if you keep advertising on a show that's different really than you know a, a group of conservative moms you know announcing a boycott of disneyland or something like that that's well, it's like, different well, than we just had group. it. It was the conservative moms who who said they were gonna, you know, who were came out against J.C. Penney for having Ellen DeGeneres as their spokesperson. Right. And, and yeah, you you can you can deny that, or you or you can disregard that. If and again, that was what that was like the million moms or something. Yeah, like that. a million. With, they have forty five thousand of million moms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you know you can make a lot of noise as just a loud customer or potential customer, but you get real feedback as a company through social media, if you're, if you're there to listen, uh, to that feedback and it, and it's real time, it's measurable well, yeah, and it, it has an impact. It, it has had a, it's had, it's been the biggest part in my opinion of, of this story from that side of it is I think how social media has right. fueled it. I, there are a couple of points. The first one is, it, it, you know, it goes back to the issue of scale and what social media does, uh, it has done and, and, and Facebook and Twitter in particular, uh, have sort of pulled back the curtain on the channels that the vocal percentage uh, the, of, you know, sort of activist consumers who are both fired up and willing to take the extra step to reach out to this 
company, right? And because of these social media channels, the, the skids are greased for that level of contact. So it's allowed that that majority or that vo- that vocal minority a chance to to really, uh, uh, you know, make their voice heard. And I think well, what organization, well, and, uh, well, now hold on, what organizations know, just like any other marketing channel, the group that is willing to speak up is a percentage of the total group that probably doesn't feel great about what's going on. Yeah. Right? For every one person that actually takes the time to go to Facebook and write on that page, I'm not going to buy your product, how many other people are not going to buy the product but also not going to go say something on Facebook? Right? I mean, there there is a – just like any other issue of scale uh, of response rate from your old direct mail you know, uh, uh, campaigns where you expect less than 1% to actually take action, uh, we expect some percentage of the people who feel strongly about a certain cause or a certain uh, – um, uh, uh, have a certain reaction to take action uh, on that – on their feeling, and there are others that will not. And so that's, that, that's the, the um, I think, an important it, it, issue. Yes, and you're exactly right. At the same time, though, I don't have to be uh, an activist or really even a vocal customer to get on Twitter and say something. Um, you know, maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not the super shy who are going to do that because yeah. they don't want to be well, too exposed. Well, I'm, or... I'm not. I, okay, so I, I'm I, activist is a bit of a strong word in this case. I, well, I, and I, that, and I see, but I think that's part of the point is that you it know it lowers it, it, the bar to activism. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly it's, it's really it. The yes. Point. Yeah. So it still is going to be a small percentage. It still is going to be the people who are inclined to to say something, um, which is is you know a smaller percentage of of the total. But yes, the bar is lowered from you know that earlier statement of people like you know the million moms or whatever people who really are <clears throat> driven to actually go to a movie theater with a sign card and protest you know the last temptation of Christ. Well, that's you know that that's a higher bar than yeah you know, the person who's going to go on Twitter and say, hey, this really sucks. I like 1-800-PRO-FLOWERS or whatever it is, uh, but I'm not inclined to use them because they advertise on this show. And I think he made said something very offensive. And I didn't even know they did advertise on this show, but now I do. And it upsets me. Um, so, yeah, that bar has gone down. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Uh, I had it, man. I had something else to say on it, and I. Yeah, you said two things. I you did. Said, I had a couple things. of God, key learning points here. So mad. You gave us one. Yeah. <laughs> All Sorry, this jibber jabber. It's my fault. It a is, lot, it's, it's a, a lot of jib jab. You know the jibber jabber. <laughs> All right, jibber jabber. Well, you know, I wonder. It'll be interesting to see what sort of. Oh, oh, I remember. I remember. And it wasn't you really a key learning. It was just an observation. Can you imagine waking up a guy with the size of ego that Rush Limbaugh has carrying around on his shoulder, who for the last however many decades uh, has been operating under the assumption that you he is the media, right? He is the media channel. Like, you don't, you don't, there's no way to get around my signal. All right. You can't get around me. <laughs> That's a good presentation. I like that. I'm the all with my golden microphone. <laughs> and 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 suddenly you wake up one day and realize that there are a lot of people talking about what you said in, in a channel that you do not control anymore. Oh, good point. Isn't that interesting? That's you know? a very interesting point. 
that that I think is a is got to be such a rude awakening for for you know these guys who are who are personalities uh, in in you know the more terrestrial or traditional uh, channels of, of yes, media. that's such a good point. That's actually really really interesting to think so, about. Anyway, yeah, um, uh, interesting rush fact that I found out about. Well, you know the story is unfolding um, because of his his uh what is it a, a cochlear implant is that what it's called he's got a he had a, a surgery for his loss of hearing and it's an implant i don't know what they're called cochlear i think isn't that that sounds like a cochlear implant cochlear yeah. yeah because of that he can't listen to music written after uh or produced or whatever after the year 2001 the year of his surgery I think I've got the year right. Why now? Why is that? Because of, <laughs> because of like some weird compression he, he that needs, started being used. I don't know. He 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 can only listen to music that he was able to hear before. I guess before he lost his hearing or whatever. Because he can't. Uh, he actually has some sort of uh, auditory memory of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they didn't go into the full scientific description of how that all works, but it was just a little like, fact it, it has out there. To be, it has to be a song that he has heard before. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Well, here's a, speaking of music, uh, here's another interesting uh, Rush fact. Not just the 45 advertisers that have dropped out, but uh, the band Rush has dropped ah, out. Uh, yeah. The attorney wrote and said, uh, we hereby demand you immediately stop use of all Rush's music and, and confirm I, that you will do so. The use of Rush's music in this manner implies an endorsement of the views expressed and products advertised on the show. And I know more than one Rush Limbaugh fan who is also a big Rush. fan of the band Rush. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that actually, <laughs> Rush, who's pretty much an uh, Ayn Rand uh, concept band, really, isn't it? At least, uh, and I never get that name right, Ayn, Ayn, Ayn. Ayn, Ayn, It's kind of like Brett There's a, there's a silent name was Ayn Varv. <laughs> I'd never get that right. There's both a silent R and the number eight somewhere in her name. <laughs> And they're both silent, but people get those confused. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, the the uh, her her uh, her philosophies weave their way into Rush's lyrics on occasion. I uh, I'm a, a little bit surprised that you haven't brought up the uh, the iPad. Oh well, I knew it was coming. So. No, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I, mean, I, <laughs> I wanted to leave that to you. I wasn't. Um... You know, I, I sort of tuned into Mac Rumors live blog. I don't know if they were they, were, they weren't an official live blogger, but somebody was updating. Um, and I uh, love that you that you call that official live blogging. Well, it wasn't like active. You had to refresh the page. I guess that's the only difference. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't talk about was, a high bar. I know. Well, they they had gone to that. It was kind of fun to to watch. But anyway, and because sometimes when you refresh, it's uh, getting caught up. And yeah. you know what? I actually I'm going to go. Uh, we'll get back to the iPad. But I thought about that when I was refreshing their page yesterday. I thought, you know, it's interesting that there were times that I know Mac Rumors in particular uh, did not. They, they were very specific. Please do not refresh the page yeah. because it was you know it was going to like interrupt their service or whatever too many people hit it at one time um, because they would live blog you know the the uh, like mac world and, right. uh, keynote so then i was thinking yesterday as i was refreshing i'm like well this is helping their numbers i mean they're they're an ad driven site why wouldn't it be great if they could 
get at least a temporary server allowance, you know, for a high um, short period of time volume, that's going to really help their uh, their numbers. I, you know, that seems a little bit cynical, Dane. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, I I know I know. So I'm like Arn Arnold Kim at Mac Rumors is is a you know he's a stand up guy, and I I they Mac Rumors is an extremely well trafficked site on its own. Sure, but I'm just saying, hey, even if it isn't all the way cynical, even if it, even if it isn't like, wow, you know, we've our, our numbers uh, were up ten times you know, this month, it, uh, and, and telling that to an advertiser, it may really just be, so it may not be that it may though be that I see that many ads and maybe I do click on an ad. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I can see that process, especially because just, uh, you know, I, I am sure they've, they've got to be doing some sort of IP filtering for that kind of a thing, because those numbers would be so hugely inflated. True, true, true. Yeah, that's true. That's not even, I mean, it, that wasn't a no unit. one would be able to take it seriously. True. But anyway, yeah, I mean, if you're running... So, Red Dog 1 to Red Dog Squadron, Dane is going down. You bought the seat, but you'll only need the edge. Nice. Where'd that come from? I don't know. My youth. I think it was from a bull pull, some sort of a truck trucker thing from my youth. Oh yeah, don't Monster, you want to the monster truck? truck show? I uh, so I I wanted to talk a little. What do you think about the name of the new? Because there's a lot of there's, there's just a, a lot of people upset about the fact that it's not iPad HD, iPad three. They're saying, how am I gonna know it's not the iPad two that I'm buying? I'm so confused. What the heck is the name? I I, I missed iPad, that. iPad, and the initial marketing is just you know this is the new yeah, that's iPad. Confusing. It's the new iPad. They're still iPad. gonna sell the two, right? They are selling one model of the two, but I don't think, um, you know, I think for now, here's my, here is my uh, hypothesis that just like there is the MacBook Pro and there are several models of the MacBook Pro, just like there is the um, MacBook Air and there are several models of the MacBook Air, uh, I believe that the iPad has become this product where it, it no longer needs specifications and they'll probably in in referring to it in their support documentation they will do like they like they do every other uh, uh, computer that they sell which is this is the early 2012 model of the iPad that's how it will be remembered as iPad early 2012 that's how they do it you know uh, here's a software update it is for iMac mid 2010 like that that's how they frame it and in fact if I go to about this Mac on my Mac right now and click on, let's see, I, I'm sure there's a way to find in uh, system preferences. Yeah, I'm right now working on a Mac mini mid-2011. That's actually in the about this Mac screen on my Mac. Like there is only Mac mini, there is only iPad, there is only iMac, and there are the years that it was released. And I think for the first two generations of, of iPad, uh, they had the iPad and then iPad 2 to, as a differentiator. And now they're realizing, you know what, this is a device that is fueling our business. And it, it is, um, it, you know, it can be just as, uh, as big of a standalone product line as, as um, these others. It does. We don't need version numbers on this one. And, and, and how big a deal do you think uh, this screen resolution is going to be? Massive. Yeah. Massive. 
I think, think partly be because of the competitive advantage. It, uh, well, I know that massive in terms of it's going to be awesome, but uh, and and I want to talk about what you think about that technology. But do you think it puts them that far ahead of the the competition? Yeah, 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 I do. And I think what's next is uh, I, I would imagine we're going to start seeing uh, Retina Display MacBook Airs next uh, as they learn to make larger and larger panels that are at this pixel def- uh, density um, because that's, I mean, this is the way, this is the way of things. And I understand that um, the production and shipment of these in the past couple of weeks has basically um, hamstrung the competition. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That's what I heard leading up to this, the week leading up to this, that Apple had in fact secured Every 100% of available transportation channels out of China, DHL, mm-hmm. you know, UPS, FedEx, everybody was choked, uh, chock full of uh, iPad 2012s and uh, Apple TVs. Yeah, it's the it's the part of competition that uh, supply yeah supply chain economics. I mean, this yeah, is it is right. massive, and and so if you're HTC, if you're Motorola, if you're Microsoft, if you're anybody who man who manufactures things in China, you, you've your stuff has been sitting on a dock for the last two weeks because can Apple I, secured all of it. Can I just say this is a way aside note, but one of my favorite little anecdotes from uh, the Steve Jobs book biography was. Um, when Tim Cook was in a meeting, and uh, there were there was some like manufacturing issue in China, and he basically said, sort of a quiet, you know, well somebody should be there, uh, or or you yeah. should be there, like something no, like it you was, should have been right. there. Yeah, no, somebody should get over there. Yeah, and then like yeah. an hour later or a half hour later, he's like, still here? Uh, Why are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like oh, okay. Uh, and the guy took like the next flight to to whatever Shanghai. I don't know what. Yeah, it, there is it, no more Shanghai. Sorry, it's a it's an interesting product. This uh, new new iPad. Yeah, I did. It, I have not ordered one. That may surprise you. Well, I've, yeah, I figured you'd. Uh, well, and it's coming out quite soon, so that does surprise me. I figured yeah. you'd have uh, your current iPad on on the market. You but, know, I I I don't know. Maybe I maybe I should have. I I think it, there is one uh, in my future, but honestly, I really love my iPad too. I, I really love it. And because I haven't seen the new screen, I, I think I, my opinion of the new screen and my personal plans are very different. Uh, my personal plans involve, y- you know, um, making sure that I can do it in a way that that pays for my gadget habit. So I have to sell a bunch of stuff and yeah. I just haven't had time to sell a bunch of stuff. Uh, or else my wife will kill me. So, but the the real the 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 issue with the screen, I think, to get back to it, is that there is a um, there is a real transformation that occurs. I think when uh, when you forget when you are able to forget that you're working on a, a computer and getting to these retina displays, right? Getting to these super high density displays gets you that one step closer to forgetting. That you're working on a computer, and it allows, uh, I think, application developers to do things, uh, particularly, I think, in this textbook market, in the education market, uh, that allows you to present information in a way uh, that that will be so palatable and so tactile for for you know the the learning experience. That I think these things are going to be just massive. 
And what's interesting, and this may be also be part of the reason you haven't bought one yet, um, there's really no way uh, to, like, I, I think yeah, you Tim can't Cook show it. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they were saying, you know, one of the unfortunate things here is this screen is so much better than, you know, you the know. projection behind me showing you, uh, you know, like, explaining this, that right. you just have to get your hands on it because there's no other way for you to experience this or know what this really means than to hold it. Did you watch the uh, the iPad video that they played during the, the keynote address? No, there, you, you should go to the website and watch it. It's the it's the iPad video. It's like a five minute video. And there's this segment where they're showing, you know, they do the typical over the shoulder kind of I'm looking at the iPad on somebody's lap shot. Right. OK. And it's explaining the resolution and they and they uh, they they draw an outline around the screen of the iPad. And they and it's like somebody's writing an electronic chalk. It's like a telestrator. And they say, you know, so here's the resolution of the new iPad. And it's, you know, 2460 by 1536 or whatever it is. And the camera with this telestration still up on the screen tilts up to to from the perspective of somebody. It's like you're you're looking down at your lap at the iPad and then you look up at the wall and there's your uh, HD television and it superimposes the the iPad outline over the the um, um over the HD television and says, now here's your television. And, and they show a relative uh, sort of telestration of the little 1920 by 1080 uh, HD screen, which is inside of the, of the larger, uh, by comparison, iPad screen in terms of overall resolution. And it, it is one of the, I, I know I'm just destroying it by trying to describe such a visual thing on this show, <laughs> but it is one of the best sort of, um, illustrations of just how dense the pixels are and how high resolution this little tiny screen really is um, particularly when you see somebody holding it at you know two feet away uh, and it was it's one I think it's probably the best uh, sort of te um, product video they've done um, it is really good and and really clear about you know what they have done in this product that actually does make it revolutionary that's good. Um, so I, to... I think it's terrific. And I, I um, you know, the other things about it, the, the LTE 4G, that's going to be great if you're in a 4G market. It, it's unfortunate, unfortunate that it happened the same time they released this iOS 5.1 for iPhone users, right? Well, for every iOS user. But on the iPhone now, the former 3G logo when you were on the high-speed data network, has now been turned to 4G. But it's not 4G. It it's, has. It's not 4G on the iPhone. The iPhone is not capable of technically 4G. 4G is technically LTE, the long-term evolution standard. What they're calling 4G is a marketing... Uh, it's a marketing 4G. It's HSDPA+. So it's fast, but it's not real 4G fast. And the iPad, the new iPad, is capable of real 4G fast. It's a whole different chipset and antenna in there to support LTE. And so it's a little bit frustrating that they that AT&T has changed their marketing to the point where Apple actually agreed to change that logo because we're not rocking 4G uh, speeds on the iPhone 4S. That's very frustrating. That's it's frustrating when I try and explain that to my parents, for example. <laughs> so maybe this is a first world problem for me, that for a tech support problem. I don't know. You know, speaking of which, th there was a, uh, what was it? Somebody 
released a computer that was supposed to be, it was like a touchscreen desktop that was supposed to be like the, the easiest or simplest computer ever made. That's, that was their marketing. And this is not that long ago. I just don't remember who this was. But, and I think there was the operating system, like the whole thing. It was, um, they wanted to be basically really old person friendly. <laughs> and somebody, I think it was TechCrunch, uh, one of their writers had their mom use it and then just like wrote down the comments, said, just talk out loud, use the computer. Here you go. Pretty funny. Like, you really wonder how many, um, how many people really actually like road test uh, a product with, let's say, old folks, <laughs> because yeah, it wasn't you know as easy uh, like easier I guess, but there were a couple of like you know well download this uh, if you want the newer version or something like that, which is like well I won't be doing that yeah. Exactly. Little things that, you know, really kind of trip people up that yeah. people just kind of don't think about. Yeah. Which I think Apple thought about quite a bit. I, I mean, they, they you know, there's a nice little midpoint there between, you know, being uh, hardy and and uh, and for the technical, technically savvy, but also uh, really thinking through the user experience to the point of, you know, what if somebody, I think the iPad in particular, I, there, there was... Um, I think this was in the, the biography, but somebody had been using the iPad. I think they had tweeted about how they were in some remote village somewhere with an illiterate, uh, like 12 year old or something who'd never used a computer and couldn't even read. And within like a couple of minutes was fully functional on the iPad. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool. It is very cool. Uh, you know, it take, it gets to the point of just the scale of the disruption that the iPad is, has, uh, sort of handed the industry over the last, um, uh, you know, several years, uh, two years, two generations of the product. I mean, it is really massive. And I think that graph that they put up when they compared just iPad sales to PC sales across major vendors, uh, you know, where the the iPad so handily, you know, beat everybody and just barely edged out HP, um, you know, is, is uh, really telling. Uh, it will be, I think that, you know, Tim Cook's, statements to date have been you know we're we're coming to a time where these these sorts of tablet computers and the iPad in specific uh, are going to outpace um, you know notebooks and laptops well, well and especially and this is the conversation that I'm sure you've had many times with people who's who are saying should I get an iPad and the cost of an iPad really does rival uh, for a lot of people, what they would spend on, you know, say a Windows uh, laptop or something. So, uh, net, you, know, you know, one of the very small sort of cheapy netbooks like an yeah. Asus is yeah, you know, something that bucks. right, something somebody would walk down to Office Max and buy or something like that. But yeah, not a substantial computer. But it, yeah. but they might be caught there saying, look, I don't have a, a ton of budget. I think that iPad's pretty cool, but I really I can't. I, I have to have one or the other. Uh, and there are just a couple of things that I can't do on the iPad or I wouldn't be comfortable doing or whatever. So, geez, I, I'm, I'm going to have to wait. And and that's not really that the technology isn't there. It really is that the software, I think, uh, and, and our use has to sort of, you know, match at some point because uh, at, at these price points, there are a lot of people for whom it's it's an either or kind of a thing. And the iPad would be amazing and, and uh and and 
like you're saying in terms of just total sales, we're already at the point where, you know, the sales are there and people are saying, um, you know, this is their choice, but obviously they're going to need to, uh, most of them have a couple of things that they do on a desktop that they just either can't do or, or can't, you know, work themselves into like maybe, you know, advanced spread, spreadsheet use or something mm -hmm. to that, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you can use spreadsheets on the iPad, but it, it may not be to the level that they do on a desktop or it may not, or they just may not be comfortable um, with that interface for that function. Well, and that's, that's the, the training that sort of goes into it. But I think one of the pieces that's going to get this off the ground is when people, uh, you know, really embrace um, you know, the cloud and uh, this sort of idea of iCloud and cross-functional sort of applications that allow you to move, to work on your desktop and then pick up your iPad and, and keep working. And, you know, there's something really magical about that experience. You know, I use, um, you know, what is it, Quick Office or something on my iPad. Um, let's see, I use, let me tell you what I use. Yeah, Quick, Quick Office HD uh, on the iPad and it allows me to log into my Google Docs account, my Dropbox account, and local file storage and sync between iTunes. So I can access pretty much any document anywhere that I have, whether it's a spreadsheet or a Word document or PowerPoint, whatever, and I can edit it. And it's, you know, there's some things that are funny that don't quite work, uh, you know, as anticipated, but 90% of what I do, I can, you know, work straight across. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's rumor of Microsoft Office coming for the iPad. And I think that you know, we're going to see that probably sooner rather than later. I think that's long overdue, don't you? Well, it's long overdue, but I think Microsoft is kind of coming back to the the um, the understanding that they're a software company. Well, I know they exactly. They they've tried so hard. Um, I mean, I when I hear news about uh, Windows Mobile, I think that still exists. Yeah, well, and and to be fair, Windows Phone is uh, Windows Phone Seven, whatever it is that the. Um, New or I can't. I don't. I get so confused with their numbers. But the, but everything I've seen on it looks really, really compelling. I've, and it's I've like heard good things. Really yeah. gotten back to, to actually innovating in interface. And and no, I I've think heard that's, really good things. That's good stuff. And and I think but, to but have again, to have Microsoft Office on the iPad makes total sense to me. Uh, and I wonder but, but how long you, it would take it to actually be their you know one of their most profitable products. Exactly. Right. You know, with yeah, Photoshop yeah. Touch on the iPad, which is stunning. I mean, it's. Fantastic. Fantastic. Photoshop Touch? There is Photoshop now. You can get Photoshop for the iPad for 10 bucks. Can you really? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I have uh, Photoshop Express for the iPhone, but okay, Photoshop Touch. Did yeah. not know. I don't know. It's, uh, That's it's, great. It just came out like two weeks ago or a week and a half ago. Well, and I think, you know, Adobe doesn't have anything to lose, I don't think, by... Um, innovating uh, or creating, you know, products or versions of products for the iPad. But I think Windows uh, has held back partly because I think they would love, again, to be able to have, be able to compete on the level that they've got the operating system uh, and, and uh, I don't know, maybe even, um, you know, some, some skin in the game on, on the uh, device itself. Right. Uh, and so, you know, why, why hand over to Apple you know, even more reason for people to adopt it and never leave it. Um, but like you said, they're a software company and, you know, their history as a company actually weaves pretty tightly with Apple. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know uh, what, uh, like all the reasoning that goes into, uh, 
you know, how, how, like where they decide, I guess, to, I mean, it's just got, I think there's got to be some ego there that says, gee, if we make uh, Office an awesome product for the iPad, it will be so dominant for so long that we'll basically have to like, take a back seat. But, you know, is that really true? Yeah. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't think, I, I think Apple very well could have uh, withered away and died if Microsoft hadn't, you know, back in the 90s. Given them $150 million. <laughs> that and committed, you know, to ensuring good versions of, of the Office suite. And there are a lot of people that could not have bought an Apple computer if they didn't have uh, Microsoft Office. And do you, it, do you it use it? Do you use it today regularly? I, I hate it. I only use it when I have to. Yeah. Um, I do use it. I like Excel better than Numbers. Um, I just have never fully warmed up to Numbers. Um, but Word is so, I don't know, it's so cumbersome in my mind to use. I, I Honestly, when I need to sort of write something um, that's maybe a note to myself or just a document that's sort of for me, uh, I just open something like, you know, Notebook, um, mm -hmm. some quick little very, very light, opens really fast, <laughs> you know, can be sort of used anywhere. Uh, I use that instead of Word all the time. I use uh, I use Pages uh, when I have to do a, some sort of document preparation and you know export that to Word or wherever if I need to send it to somebody. I try. I use Numbers. I have some of my key kind of business spreadsheets are in Numbers, but like you, I mean, m mostly when I'm writing something, I'm opening up uh, TextMate and uh, and I just write in plain text. And I think that's one of the lessons of Microsoft Word is that you know it, it got to this point on sort of the feature bubble when it became obvious that uh, there was a solution for writing problems and that is to get rid of everything and just get back to the words uh and then you know so i write in text uh, in textmate and then if there's anything else that needs to be moved over i actually use scrivener for any long format have you ever tried scrivener no no it's fantastic it's actually a, a it really is a a sort of big document writing tool it allows you to keep all your research and have a multi-pane kind of uh kind of solution so you can have several panes open of of um, or two panes open, one where you're writing and one where you have research, and that may include PDFs or, or you know, web pages, whatever, that you've saved in this Scrivener uh, kind of uh, document format, which I, I love. Um, so Scrivener is a, is a go-to app for me. I, we've well, been... at, at what point do you think, um, if this is, uh, if what I'm saying is correct, then at what point do you think it became correct that programs like Word is maybe one of the best examples in my mind. Um, it became less about new features um, being built into it, you know, year after year to make people want to buy it and more about um, cross-platform use and ease of use and, uh, you know, accessibility and, and you know what I mean? Like e easy to adopt, easy to use. Because well, so many, there, there was a time really when if you weren't that was the only option, really. Microsoft Office was pretty much, I know it's still, you know, a, obviously a very important part of, um, you know, anybody's um, PC use, but there are so many more options to things like, uh, I mean, things like really easy to use text editors for people who don't need, you know, to do markup and, and don't need... Um, I, I don't know, some of the more advanced features, I guess, in Word. They really just need something... Yeah, very easy to use 
Yeah, I need, publisher. I need like word, word light. Uh, exactly. And in so many ways, that's what Pages is to me. It's like word light. Like you can find some some of the more advanced. And in fact, a lot of the layout features are end up being sort of on par or more advanced, uh, certainly easier to use. Uh, in pages than in than in word but it, by default what opens it opens quickly and when it opens it's ready to write and that's one of the things that i sort of count on um you know i wanted to so i wanted scribner to say is one, interesting scribner is really, right you should now. definitely look at that one and the other one you know i find if i'm writing for the web i'm largely writing in mars edit I, I, there is there's just about not a single word of of you know, stuff that I write for the web for any of the client sites that I manage uh, that doesn't go through Mars Edit. Um, yeah, I like Mars Edit. I like Mars Edit a lot. I, you know, I have another. I have another tool that I discovered through. It's a service and a tool, sort of. Uh, I love this. This is. Uh, I always get excited when when Pete has. Uh, found and tested and understands a new tool yeah this no i understand this <laughs> <laughs> and knows how to use it i know how to use this new tool that i've discovered and found i it is a actually so okay uh, my uh mailing list uh, the for, for a long time at least since the very beginning of my uh, of my daily photo project uh, which is in year two right now I've been I've had this mailing list uh, so you could subscribe to the RSS feed of my daily photo project and you could get a new photo every day, a new finished photo every day. And that that's been something I've been doing through FeedBurner, which at this time last year was also a great tool, uh, you know, because you turn on email subscriptions and people can just, you know, subscribe to your feed and they get this email every day with the latest entry uh, on your feed powered by RSS through FeedBurner, which is great. The problem is the mailing list management part isn't that great, and you can't style the thing at all. Like, you get to add your logo, but otherwise it's the feed burner template format, and it goes out to this batch of people that have to double opt-in to your mailing list, so you can't manually add them to your list. If, you're, if you were standing here next to me, I would still have to have you click on this link, add your email address, go check your email, and click on another link to get to my email, uh, to my mailing list. So there were barriers to entry uh, for using this uh, email tool to get on my daily photo email list. And, you know, for the longest time, it was just a pain. Uh, and so I didn't think about it. It served the people who liked it and and, you know, it, it didn't hurt me too much. Then I get this email from this company that I already use, Campaign Monitor. Um, I love Campaign Monitor. I use them for all my clients. Uh, it is a, a terrific mass mailing service. It is, it's like everything that Constant Contact is not. Uh, it, it's just clean. It's um, so usable. It, it's very designer friendly. It makes it so easy to upload templates and and uh, and manage you know clean custom templates for for client emails. Uh, and the pricing's pretty darn good. And what they came out with yesterday was an RSS to email service where you give it a feed, you create your template, and you add this. Uh, it, all you have to do is is you know say here's here's my logo, here's my feed, uh, here's my custom sort of footer text and unsubscribe information, and boom. Every day uh, at five in the morning, uh, people get now a, a beautiful and styled email from me that just takes the latest entry off my website, which is the daily photo, pumped through the RSS feed, and delivers it in email. Um, and uh, it, is, it is such an easy solution 
to repurposing content. You know, for me, it's a it's a single photo every day, but I can just imagine the sort of weekly email updates uh, that need to go to you know client lists and uh, that you can now just pull straight off of the website content uh, and uh, and dump into an email uh, with so few clicks. I mean, it's so easy to do. Uh, so I would just, uh, I would say, check out Campaign Monitor. It's the uh, RSS to email feature, and it is absolutely worth the price of admission. Um, That's really fascinating. I'm thinking of uh, some current and, and former clients that this is really, really, you know, one of those um, save a few steps yeah, kind yeah. of life-saving things that I think maybe for some who uh, struggle, I guess, with, with all of the, you know, technology and how to manage, you know, I think a lot of companies struggle, for instance, with, okay, we've got to have Twitter, we've got to have Facebook, we've got to keep our website fresh, um, plus we're doing, you know, email uh, and a newsletter and direct mail and, you know, all of a sudden all these free um, methods of communicating uh, become so cumbersome and so time consuming. Mars Edit is obviously one way that you know, say Mars Edit and Hootsuite, a great way to really pare all that down, or, or at least part of that. And here's another one where I think on the surface, you know, if you um, if somebody doesn't really have the time to get to know the tool, that's a barrier. But the fact that somebody, you know, could really kind of help them integrate things that they're either should be doing or currently are doing um, to, to create, you know, take away some steps and, and, uh, because you know, I mean, when when you're when you're posting something uh, online or on your blog or whatever it is that you're going to push through an RSS feed, you really only have you know a small part of the audience that's going to look for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you you know you try to find ways to push things out. Uh, I'm just well, I, and, and my, I head, my at, wheels are kind of turning on this. This is very interesting. You know, for me, my the the email that you know as much of a pain as that feed burner for feed burner email list is. You know, there's a practical reality for me, and and I use that you know that daily photo is it's a marketing channel for me, right? I mean, not, no bones about it. The the people that I'm you know that I'm mailing to, I'm interested in them being interested in my photos enough to purchase prints. Like that's that's the bottom line. I want to help them uh you know get my photos to their walls, right? That's that's what that part of my business is. Selling How prints. come I don't have any of your photos on my walls? I don't know. I could. I I can help with that. <laughs> that is something list. I could do. See, now I could do that. Well, and that's the that was my point. That that list, as as much of a pain as it was, that list represents the highest conversion of people. Uh, you know, of of prints to walls for me. I don't get people who purchase my prints off of Facebook. I don't get people who purchase my prints off of Pinterest. I don't get people who actually purchase my prints off of Twitter. I have never had that happen, ever. But I have off that pain-in-the-ass feed burner mailing list. So, the, uh, the you know, it occurred to me that I'm sitting there getting all, you know, oh, gosh, you know, people are sharing the photos. That's great. I love it. I love that the photos are out there. I, give, I, I put them out in the world, uh, pretty darn high resolution, uh, you know, access to the original files. They're Creative Commons license, as long as you don't use them commercially, you know, put them on your desktop wallpaper, whatever. I don't care. But the people who buy the photos to make prints 
are the people who are on my mailing list. And it made sense to me all of the sudden, like a bolt of lightning, I should put, so I should dress it up a little bit. I should make it even more appealing and, and nicer to look at in your email every day. I want you to have a better day as a result of getting this uh, email every day. And from a marketing perspective, going to this RSS2 uh, email f- feature at Campaign Monitor allowed me to do both of those things, to keep my process completely streamlined. So I post the, the photo using Mars Edit to my website, which then gets pulled automatically to Campaign Monitor. I don't have to do anything, but with a half hour of setup, now I've, I've, I hopefully have made that experience a little bit better. And I think that's the, the lesson, not me just talking about my, you know, experience here with social media and photography, but it's saving a few steps, as you say, and doing something in a way that can actually improve the experience of your, uh, of your viewers, uh, uh, you know, well, which, without which a the, lot of pain. And that's the thing. I mean, e- email, I think when it's, uh, done well, does feel like, I mean, it's something you want to get. I, I, when I get, um, when the only email I get from a company I do business with is a request to spend more money with them, and it looks and feels like that every single time, um, it can wear you down. But when it looks and feels like they're doing me a favor, mm-hmm. <laughs> that you know I'm getting something pretty or or something well done or a nice thought or you know whatever, uh, I tend not to unsubscribe from those. Right. Right. And may even share. And that's right, that's what right, we right. want. We want to increase you activity. Go. You're some sort of marketing genius. <laughs> I hate marketing. <laughs> What's more, I hate marketers. I, they stink. I'm Should kidding. we go another couple hours? Or no, I mean, I what do you nothing. think? I'm done. <laughs> I could. I could. <laughs> kind of feels like we could, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm feeling I'm fired up. It's starting to feel like we shouldn't. Uh, we're going to change days next week. Can we do that? Are yeah, ready? I, I ready hope it to doesn't commit? throw too many of our uh, subscribers off, but um, <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> we are moving. We've been recording on Thursdays since the beginning of time. Uh, so this today is actually episode 51. We didn't celebrate hitting episode 50. We should be oh, far the, further ahead. Is that than the that. silver anniversary? Is That's it? The, I owe you. I don't remember. Silver. I think so, silver is twenty. Uh, so we're we're gonna start recording on Tuesday morning. So this the show will go live on Tuesdays, and um, so this will be the last Thursday show for a while. Tuesday. So I'll catch you Tuesday. I'm gonna need to make sure that's reoccurring. Would you please? <laughs> <laughs> I got it on there with the question mark for next Tuesday. And uh, okay, confer exclamation point with a slammer. Naked okay, I will change the slammer. question mark to an exclamation. That's right. And I'll also, uh, I'll make a little note to myself. Let Pete know if I'm on the road, which I very rarely am. Or scaling some mountain somewhere. Or, yeah. That was good okay. talk. All right. Well, it's been good. Catch Bye. You, catch you later. 